Great. Well, we've got a slide coming up. Right, today we're going to be thinking about leadership. It's a massive subject. I reckon if you, um, you know, did a search somewhere, I just looked for images and had a whole series of little people, you know, in the shape of an arrow and all kinds of thousands, millions of words, hundreds of, probably billions of words have been written, read, spoken on the subject of leadership. Call it management and even more arrives. Masses of stuff out there. Courses, consultants, and, and you know, it really is a, a significant part of life for all of us in one way or another. You know, you, you, you might be, you know, in a team that you, you lead on occasions. It, you, you know, you might be in a group of friends and you have an idea and you say, let's go and do such and such a thing. Or you might have a family uh, and or you're a parent. The parenting class is starting soon. And, and, you know, to be a parent is to lead children in a sense is one of the things. Um, lots of stuff, you know, leadership affects all of us in all kinds of ways. You know, it will soon be, I think, I, I lose count, but it will soon be the apprentice season again on TV, you know, and all that stuff about leadership and stepping up to the plate and giving 189% or whatever it is. You know, that whole kind of leadership, you know, there's a leader of, of the projects and we like to watch it. And Well, maybe we do. I have a love-hate relationship with it. I like to watch it, but it drives me mad, these people. But anyway, it's a, it's a great show. People talk about stepping up to the plate. Does anyone one named Britain know what stepping up to the plate means? Is it a baseball term? Yeah, that's right. It's an American phrase. It means, you know, you, you, you hit the, the, the baseball from the, you, you know, from a plate. That's where the batter, the batter, is that the right word? Anyway, stands. Leadership. Loads of it out there. Leadership is very powerful. Leaders make a tremendous difference. Things can change when a good leader goes. Uh, the school, um, I knew a school in Warwick where all our kids went and they, they had a headmistress. Uh, and she was, I won't tell you what her name Well, actually, I'm going to say great things. She was called Mrs. King. She was a little pint-sized woman, but boy, she was a leader. She was powerful. A friend of mine in our church there said that he'd seen her in action, uh, I think with a, a, year, a year six guy, boy, uh, kind of, she had him up against the wall with her fingers up his nose, kind of, you know, he was like high there. Uh, you know, and she was, she was tough. You didn't mess with Mrs. King, and the school went brilliantly. And she left, and another head came, and uh, the school started to visibly decay. We know the power of good leadership, although I don't say anything just yet till we get going at Southampton Football Club, don't we? Something, what changed? A, a, a different leader. Leadership is powerful. Now we're going to be spending uh, three weeks on uh, thinking about spiritual leadership. Not the whole of leadership. We're thinking about leadership in Christian communities. And there's a special reason why we're doing that, and I'll tell you what that is later, so stay awake and you'll find out. But, um, Today, we're going to start by thinking about how those 11 disciples of Jesus, straight after he'd left, began a a movement that we're part of that is still growing today. And leadership was a key part of that. Today, we're going to be thinking about spiritual leadership as it grew in those early Christian communities. And we're going to be thinking and learning about just the general shape of of spiritual leadership as we see it in the Bible. 
And then next week, we're going to be thinking, and Dan will be speaking then, about the kind of leadership Jesus calls us to. At whatever way we're leading, uh, he calls us to be servant-hearted leaders. And what does that mean? And then in two weeks' time, uh, Lou will finish the series uh, thinking about the kind of people who become leaders, people uh, who have qualities and, and character, not just qualifications. So that's where we're going over the next three weeks. So today... We're thinking about leadership growing in Christian communities. Because we see um, the, in the book of Acts, the book that Luke wrote, his part two of Luke's gospel, was the story of how, how the early church grew, full of the life of Jesus. And, and in that early church, leadership starts to grow and develop in particular ways. And I want us to have a, a, a bit of an overview of some of the ways that happened and see what we can learn for it. So we're going to start off in Acts chapter 1. So if you want to get a Bible up, it's on page 1. 1092, and we're going to have a look into a few verses there. And we're going to be seeing how the leadership is, is from Jesus, it comes from Him, and it's about His life being expressed in these communities. That's our first kind of big area, and we're going to start looking at verse 12 then of chapter 1. Uh, And they're talking about the disciples. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. That's after Jesus had left them. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And it tells you all the, the disciples who were there, which were all of them except Judas Iscariot. And verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. There were about 120 of them and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And then Luke goes on in brackets, verse 18 and 19, tells the story of, remember how Judas committed suicide and the money that he'd used for betraying Jesus became, uh, was purchased, he used to purchase a field. And then in verse 20, Peter goes on, uh, now we know what that was about, Peter goes on in his little statement, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And another psalm, may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, says Peter, it is necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, and that's Lord Jesus, they're praying to Jesus, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven disciples." The first kind of choosing of, of another leader in the early church. Well, you got the backstory. Jesus has left them. He's ascended to God's presence. There's these 11 disciples now, 11 apostles, these ones Jesus had chosen to be witnesses, to be key for the future formation of, of the church. 
Um, they obviously, uh, there were 120 others, there were others in the community. We know that Jesus had taught them before he returned uh, to his father's presence. He taught them about the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 24, we read of how Jesus on one occasion had a journey with two of the disciples and told them all about the Old Testament, went on this journey of, I don't know how, an hour or two. He went through the whole of the Old Testament, it says, telling them where it said anything about himself. So they began to kind of understand it together, and they're still processing what's going on, and they've been reading the book of Psalms, and they've been reading Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. Probably Jesus told them about those psalms, perhaps even on that conversation on the road as they were walking to that village, Emmaus. But anyway, they were processing what had happened by looking into God's word, thinking about it, and they came to the clear conviction that because Jesus chose 12 apostles, the number was significant, we won't go into that now, because there were 12 that Jesus chose, and now there are only 11, they really sensed that what Jesus wanted They sense that what Jesus wants them to do is to choose somebody else to replace Judas among the 12 apostles. So they talk about it together. Peter kind of leads the discussion. There are two people who qualify, people who'd been in the disciples' group right from the beginning and who'd seen Jesus after the resurrection, two qualified. They think, well, we've got two candidates. So they decide um, to, to pray. They've already been praying together. We hear that right from the beginning. And then they pray again, and Luke tells us what they pray. They've been looking at the scriptures. They've been thinking about it from the Bible and thinking, what does God say in the Bible about this? And that's all part of their kind of discussion. And then they finally, verse 24, they pray, verse 24, and they ask Jesus to lead them. And to lead them by uh, revealing as they cast lots. Now, whether that's a dice or, you know, a few sticks in a mug, you know, like you do, or one potato, two, I don't know whether it was like that. But anyway, one of those kind of methods that, that um, you know, chose one or the other. And that's what happened. What about the method? Well, you think, that's a funny way to choose leaders. We don't do that these days. And true, this is the only time in the New Testament that lots, casting lots, are involved in decision-making. The key thing is that they've prayed. They're expecting Jesus to be involved through that system. And it is actually the last time in the Bible we ever read of casting lots being used to make a decision. You read about it lots of times in the Old Testament, Never again in the New Testament. Why? Well, someone suggested if you look what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, something new happens. The Holy Spirit comes. And from the time the Holy Spirit comes, you don't need to make decisions by, you know, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, or casting lots, or who gets a double six, or whatever it is, because you have the Lord with you in that process of praying and thinking and discerning so that's what they do why do they do this well they do this as a response to a really important conviction you see they do this because they know that Jesus is Lord over their community and they're following what Jesus did and what Jesus taught them they've understood scripture they pray They trust that Jesus will work as they pray, as they look at scripture, as they talk, and as they make a decision. Because they believe that Jesus works 
in situations, in people, in communities. And this is a really key background assumption about, that goes over the whole of our community life. And indeed the whole of our individual Christian lives, as we shall see. We, we believe and we know that Jesus works. He's alive. He works in our lives. He does things in communities. He does things through people. That's, uh, we'll come back to that later. God isn't locked out of our world. Jesus can work in our lives, in our community. The Christian life, either individually, for just me and you, or together when it's us, that life is not just about head knowledge, not just about believing those things we sang about, but that is true, we do believe those things, but it's not just about what we believe. It's not just that we experience in our emotions, although we do that too. Living that life means that we expect God to be at work in the real world. That's in a church community, on your front line where you're at work, or at school, or if you're going off to university. That, that, that we, we believe in a God who is involved, who does things. And, you know, uh, forgive me batting on about this, but I, I'm just aware that our culture doesn't believe that. Nobody in our culture believes that. But it's what we know to be true because it's what Jesus revealed. It's what the Bible says. It's what we see in our experience if we look for it, if we start to pray for it. And hanging on to that truth that God works in the real world is not easy. It's not easy when the whole of everyone else believes something completely different. Hanging on to it is hard work, but we must and we need each other to help us, don't we? Jesus is at work. That's the first kind of point. This whole leadership, like everything else in the Christian community, comes from Jesus. He's involved in our lives, together and individually. Now, do I believe that? Do you believe that? Are we going to believe that as we pray, as we look to God to lead us forward? Well, we better believe it, hadn't we? Otherwise, we're really stuffed, I would have thought, if I may put it in that way. Too late, I already have. So let's move on. Let's go on to another little part of uh, 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 the book of Acts. So we're going to look into Acts chapter 6 now. So a few pages on. Acts chapter 6 and uh, it's uh, verses 1 to 7. And here's another example of leadership emerging and being shaped. And here's a different kind of leadership that arises out of a particular problem. But here we see that leadership, spiritual leadership, in Christian communities is about unity. It's for unity. It's for focus. And it's also for growth. See if you can spot these things in this little account here. So chapter 6, verse 1. It's a little bit later, you know, the Holy Spirit has come, the day of Pentecost, all that stuff. And there's thousands of people now meeting in the Christian community in Jerusalem. Chapter 6. In those days, verse 1, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution or the daily serving of food so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables brothers choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom 
We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. I should have read that out loud at home before I came to know. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a larger number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, some of us will be familiar with this story uh, and what happened here. But basically, um, there's a problem, isn't there? A really big problem that raised a much bigger, serious spiritual issue in this large Christian community in Jerusalem. See, they were all Jews. They were all from a Jewish background. They were all Jews who had come to know Jesus as their Messiah. They'd come to see that the Messiah they were waiting for was, in fact, Jesus of Nazareth. That he died, he'd been raised from the dead, and that he was God's sent king. And all their Judaism suddenly, whoa, that, whoa, it all kind of slotted into place. All became, made perfect sense to them. But they were all from that background. But they were from two different cultural backgrounds. Because Jewish people had spread all over the, the, the ancient world. And, and, and there were like two streams. Some of them um, were, as it were, very much kind of within the Greek culture. Some of them actually had come to Jerusalem for the, uh, for the festival at the time and had come from Greek cities. And they lived in Greek culture, and their culture was very much kind of like the culture around them. They were still Jew, Jews, but they lived in that way. Uh, others who were from uh, Palestine... Uh, they did things in very much a, a Hebrew type of way. And uh, that's the way they lived. There were, t- there were differences in the way they lived, although they believed the same things when they were Jews, and they now believe the same things now they were following Jesus, their Messiah, just that their culture was different. And, you know, uh, in the community, they, they, they used to share all the stuff they had to, to give to people in need, and some of the people in need were the widows, and so they were kind of pooling their food and giving out food to the widows who needed. And, and uh, some of the uh, uh, one group noticed that the other group was getting, didn't seem to be getting more kind of food than their group. And there was a big row brewing. And it was a real threat to their unity. Now the 12 apostles, uh, they know that their priority was to be prayer, to be serving people. By the word, actually, the word for serving food is used the same word as for serving the word. There's no difference, actually, as we shall see. Same Greek word. We don't tra- it's not translated in the same way, unfortunately. But it is. That word ministry, that word serving, is used of the people giving out the food and the people giving out the word. Same thing. Same basic process. And uh, the apostles reckon that giving out the word and prayer is something they need to get on with. And that if they're kind of sorting out food rations, uh, it was kind of getting in the way of that. And so they decide what they do about this problem. Verse 2, they get everybody together. They discuss it and they encourage them to choose seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and who are wise. And that's what happened. They pray about it. Again, notice that in verse 6. They prayed and they laid their hands on them. 
They get on with the job and there's no longer a problem at that time with unity. It's very simple. It's wise. It's a practical solution. It involves prayer. They pray about it. They're looking for God to be at work in these people's lives. The Holy Spirit, they're full of the Holy Spirit. It says they lay hands on them. That may have had a sense of, of as they laid hands on them, they were looking for God to give them a special gift of the Holy Spirit to do that job. Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy, if you've not heard of that concept before. That's what they may have been doing. What do we see from this? We see that um, leadership is recognized, isn't it? In this case, it's recognized by the whole community. It's important, let's hold on to that. The apostles got everybody involved. Said, let's all let's all sort this together. Let's be involved in this. We see that there's a variety of ways of leading. As I say, it's all serving here, and I'm not going to go too much on that because Dan will be speaking about this next week. But the apostles are serving the word, as it were, handing out the word. The others, these seven, are going to be primarily involved in handing out the bread and making sure people get fed and are cared for. It's the same thing, essentially, only used in a different kind of way. And then the great thing, good leadership here enables growth, verse 7. But what happens? What were the the apostles doing? They were serving the word. They were giving out the word. What happens, verse 7? The word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased and a large number of priests become obedient to the faith. Even a new group of people who had not yet, it seems, been necessarily followers of Jesus, became kind of part of it, this group of priests. Love to know what's behind that, but anyway, we don't. We just know that's what happened. And the apostles are released for their tasks, and the others were released for theirs. That was great, great leadership for unity, focus, and growth. Why do we need leadership? For those things. Seemed to be true then, seems to me to be true today if we're this living breathing community full of the life of God that we want to be and Stephen and Philip in case you think that those giving out bread were just you know kind of delivery men a kind of you know first century Ocado service um, you read on and you discover that Stephen in the very next chapter is the first martyr Stephen is so powerful in evangelism he, he gets murdered for his faith. You can read that in chapter 7. And Philip, what about him? Well, he's, such a, he's so full of the spirit and wisdom, he ends up leading a revival in Samaria and being the, the, you know, the guy who ends up talking to the African. Who, you know, in, so, so, you know, it's not that, you know, these two, you've got a kind of over, you know, top level you know, spiritual leadership and giving out food. No, it's all about serving in the power of the spirit in the place God puts us. Anyway, let's move on to another passage. I wanted to move on finally to our third little passage in Acts. It's in Acts chapter 11. um, And that's on page, when I get there, it's on page 1105-1105. And here we're thinking about how leadership works best (laughs) with the right people. Let's see what the right people is and how the early church kind of got, got with that. Here's verse 19 then. 
Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, remember Stephen, he got martyred and then there was a great wave of persecution and then the church scattered or lots of them scattered. Some of them went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You see some of these little themes returning. Then, verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know why we're called Christians? It started in this city called Antioch in the first century. Now this is a really key point in the story of Acts. The story of Acts is about how the church grows and spreads and moves forward. We're a few years later on now from where we were just now. Uh, now we're in Antioch. It's one of the great cities of the Roman Empire. I think it was the third or fourth or maybe second. It was you know, very you know, up there. It was a massive city north of uh, Palestine, sitting now between Syria and Turkey uh, in that area today. There still remains of it. And here, something new is happening. A new community of believers in, is formed, but most of them, actually probably all of them, came from non-Jewish backgrounds. They weren't anything like the, Jew, the Christians, the believers in Jerusalem. Now, these were people who'd never been Jews at all and had come from non-Jewish backgrounds to see that Jesus was their Lord, uh, that Jesus was the king. They weren't Jews, but they just came in and, they, and they, that, that became a really interesting issue in the early church. But we won't go into that now. Now, the Jerusalem church hear what's going on, and they want to send them someone to maybe help them, Antioch, maybe find out what's happening, kind of report back. We don't quite know, but all we do know is that Barnabas is sent to Antioch from Jerusalem. Barnabas, we know, is an amazing guy. He's an encourager. He was so encouraging that they all even called him encourager as a nickname, okay? I don't think it was ironic. I think it was true. He was an encouraging bloke. He was a a guy, he was a generous guy. He'd been quite wealthy. He was a key leader, uh, not one of the apostles, but a key leader in the Jerusalem church. And he's sent by them to uh, uh, Antioch. He's got the right gift. He's also, Barnabas, is from Cyprus. Uh, now, where did some of the people who started the church at Antioch come from? Did you notice that? Cyprus. Ah, wise decision. Small world. Christian world was extremely small then. He probably knew those people from Cyprus. You would have found one of your own. And uh, they send Barnabas because he's a, a man with the right gift. He's an encourager. 
And he's also just the right person, really, because of his background. And more importantly, he's full of the Holy Spirit and faith, verse 24. He knows what God can do, and he lived like it. Barnabas also knows his own limitations. That's great for leaders to know their own limitations, isn't it? He's humble. That's a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills him. So what he does, he realizes such a lot is going on. He finds another person to lead and help with him. And that person is Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul and writes most of the New Testament. The community grows. The Holy Spirit works among them. If you glance down to chapter 13... Um, By the time you get to chapter 13, you see there actually a a team of teachers and prophets and the Holy Spirit is working and tells actually that little team to let Paul and Barnabas go because he's got something else for them to do. And they become the first kind of missionaries ever. That's in Acts 13. So here you see we see not just the right people, but we see the Holy Spirit working there. We see people teaching the word. The word is crucial in Antioch. That's what Paul and Barnabas, or Saul, Barnabas and Saul rather, as you know, Saul changed his name to Paul later. That's what they're doing. There's no mention of elders as such, but the leadership was growing and was developing as a group. Later, as they go off on their missionary journeys, Paul and Barnabas go off and they they share the word all around the ancient world and churches get started And they, um, in those churches, appoint elders. Just turn over one page, chapter chapter 14, and look at uh, verse 21 to 23. What's happened here is that a bit later, Paul and Barnabas have gone around preaching. Little communities have been formed, and Paul and Barnabas have left them and moved on, and now they're going to go back and see them on their way back to tell the church back at Antioch how it had all been going, because they'd sent them out there. And what they do, they said, verse 21, they preached the good news in that city. They won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. That's a different Antioch, rather. A bit confusing, but that's where they'd been preaching. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. That was their basic message. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. See that? As they are involved in finding leaders. Interesting, they wait a bit and then they come back and they go to those communities and they see how they're doing and they identify leaders who are now called elders in those local churches. But again, there's this supernatural. And they're praying and they're fasting. They commit them to the Lord because it's the Lord's church and they expect the Lord to be working in it. Later in Acts 20, verse 17, no need to turn to it, Paul uh, is talking to a bunch of elders in Ephesus, another of these early churches. He says something interesting. He describes them as those who watch over the flock of God. They're like shepherds who watch over. And he says, the Holy Spirit made you that. The Holy Spirit put you there. Whatever the method chosen, there's again this underlying sense that leadership is about God using people, working through them uh, for the, his glory and the blessing of people. So that's the kind of material we've looked at. We've seen these three uh, areas. What kind of conclusions can we start to draw? I'm just going to comment on four briefly and then stop. Firstly, 
Leadership as it emerges happens because there is a connection with the Lord. A church is not some club. The living God is at work among us. That's the message of the New Testament. That's what we want to see, isn't it? These communities are full of the life of the Spirit. Jesus is working. The word they teach and share is a powerful growth agent. There's prayer, there's fasting. Jesus is at work in their lives, individually in their communities. It's different in each place. Did you notice? Nothing's quite the same, is it? But these common kind of elements of prayer, looking for God to work, people full of the Spirit, the Word being part of it, all these little elements are, are common to the different places, aren't they? And that we need to kind of live these truths as a church, don't we? As we look for leaders, as we serve, as we do all kinds of different things, all of us, we want that connection with the Lord to be real. Do you want that? That's what I do. We want that, don't we? Okay, well, I hope so. I hope you you do. Secondly, uh, leadership is about people and it's about community. You see, it's not just about the leaders. The whole community are frequently involved in the decision, in the recognition. Unity matters, as we saw in Acts 6. And there are a variety of different ways people lead. Leadership involves serving. And there are many possibilities. Decisions are often made together. And there's often a consensus, a sense in the community that this is right. The community is often involved in the decision in some way. The right people are essential. Sometimes they're chosen, sometimes they emerge and are recognized, sometimes they're even sent, like Barnabas was to Antioch. But there's a really interesting, did you notice, there is not one process by which leaders get appointed. Which I think is really interesting. So that means I think there's freedom with the culture that we're part of, with the circumstances we're in, with the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us. You know, different churches choose leaders in different ways. I think, you know, uh, the, the Catholic Church, the cardinals go in and a white smoke comes up. You know, uh, Baptist churches vote, you know, in an election at a church meeting. Uh, I'm not sure quite what Anglican churches do. I've never really understood it, although I've asked quite a few Anglicans. But, you know, different churches do it in different ways. I don't think that's, that's not a problem with that, surely. If they did it in different ways in the New Testament, well, surely if the principles are there... We have that freedom. But however it's done, it can have an amazing effect. When, when the right people are God-appointed in the right place and we're all involved in it, when it's not just a few people serving, but when the whole community is involved, amazing things happen. So what does it mean then for us? What are we going to do now? Well, first of all, can I ask whether we need our vision corrected <laughs> You know, if you need, you've got glasses sometimes. I, I have to correct my vision because without these glasses, you're right. I can tell who you are, but it's better if I put them on. I can't see my Bible properly unless I put these ones on. Actually, I need these ones because these ones I can see right from here, the page, whereas other ones, you know. So we need our vision corrected at times. Do we need your, do you need, do I need, uh, do we need our vision of the Christian life corrected? or tuned up and our vision of the Christian community 
the Lord Jesus works in our lives. He works in our community. Do we need to be adjusted to see that, to expect it, to go with it? That's why we pray. That's why prayer is so crucial. Prayer is saying, Lord Jesus, I want to live my life with you in it today. And we want to invite you, Lord Jesus, to lead us about the children's ministry. That's why we're praying and fasting on Mondays, except not this week because it's Wednesday, so it's a bank holiday. But that's why we're doing that over the six weeks. It's part of this wanting to be connected to Jesus. We want to serve in a way that trusts him. Are you going to serve in a way that is willing for him to put you somewhere serving And if you've not ever realized that being a Christian is not just about believing stuff or not just about going to church, but about Jesus at work in your life, if you've never thought of that before, well, start that journey now. Ask him to start working in you. Make himself known to you. He's done so much for you. Maybe if ever there's a chance to go on an Alpha course, maybe you could go on one. Maybe there is a chance. Who knows? We might find out in a few minutes' time. I don't know what I do, actually. Don't leave it to others. The whole community needs to be be involved. So when we ask you to pray about leaders, please pray about it. If If we ask you to make suggestions, please do make suggestions prayerfully. If you're thinking, is there someone who, you know, there's a role that you think, oh, I need someone in that role, and you're there, your friend, you're a friend of theirs. Why not say, have you ever thought of, you know, serving in that role, helping in that group or that project or something? Let's all be involved in it. Don't leave it to other people. Be open to being one of these leaders yourself in some way. Goodness knows there's a huge variety out there where we can serve in leadership. And finally, I told you why we're doing this series. Because we need more leaders. We need more leaders across the board in every part of the church's life. But we do especially need, we'd like to in the next few weeks, be praying about a few more, maybe one or two, two or maybe more. I don't know what the Lord does. Elders. We need a few more elders. Um, particularly those that aren't actually grandfathers or couldn't become grandfathers soon. We've got, there's I think four of us who are uh, in that kind of age and stage of life. Well, maybe three and a bit. So I don't know. But, uh. So we, we, we do need younger, younger guys to be serving in, in leadership in the elder role. So we'll be telling you more about that if, as the weeks go, over, go, go through and be in touch by what we mean by elders and how we can get involved. But we will be asking the whole church to be prayerfully involved in that process. So let's pray that leadership will grow in our community and that we'll be a community that knows Jesus working in and through us. Lord, we pray that we may know that connection with you together as a community and, Lord, in our individual lives as well. Forgive us that our vision is so often need of recorrecting, but thank you that your word and your spirit and the community that we're in can be used by you just to help us see and live our lives in that way where we we know that you can do things, that we know that you're part of it. And we pray, Lord, that by the Holy Spirit, you would be at work in many, many ways in our lives individually and together as a fellowship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.